0: Thank you, Lord. Would that we could live in that all of the time. Thank you, Lord, that we can. Uh, We have a short congregational meeting today. We've called it a couple of weeks ago for the purpose of affirming uh, the nominating committee. Their purpose, just to remind you, is to nominate uh, um, uh, those who would serve as deacons and elders. Uh, Phil Stump, I see you back there. Would you take uh, notes for today's meeting? Uh, so if you would take your bulletin and open it up, on the bottom left-hand uh, corner, you'll see uh, those names. Most of them have already served. There are three, I believe, new people uh, that we're adding, uh, Duke Lineberry, uh, Kyle Pennington, and Josh Kraft. Those are the new individuals. Uh, so this does not need a second. That comes as a motion from your sec. From your session, um, are there any questions, and can we proceed to vote? Hearing none, all those in favor then of affirming this slate of, for the nominating your nominating committee signify by raising your right hand and opposed your left hand. The motion carries substantially, as in unanimously. Thank you so much. Duke Lineberry, why don't you come up? And uh, while Duke is coming, I have asked if he would bring the word. Uh, Duke is one of our elders and also the one I just named who would be sharing uh, in that nominating uh, committee. Duke is also a member of the Church Development Committee of Presbytery and travels about and preaches a good bit. And I thought, you know what? We need to have Duke share the word with us sometime, and this is that time. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Thank Thank you.
1: Wow. (laughs) So as an attorney, I've had the opportunity to go and argue in federal court and state court. Court of Appeals, North Carolina Supreme Court, South Carolina Supreme Court, two district courts at the federal level, and the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. I've preached at Presbytery and probably a dozen churches, and I can tell you I am more (laughs) nervous this moment than I've ever been. (laughs) And the reason is because you're my family. Now I can go to South Carolina and argue in front of the Supreme Court and I don't care because when I'm done, I'm done, but I got to see you guys next week. <laughs> and I love you. Um thank you. All right, I have a word for this church, and this is a hard word. Um But we've got to do these things. We have got to as a church body, as a family, come together and do the hard things sometimes. Let me ask you this, if this building burned down tonight, would we still be a church? What would it look like? Right? I mean, we're the church, the family. So, I appreciate the phrase that I hear over and over again as I was preparing for this, the house, the house of the Lord. Jesus said, my Father's house will be a house of prayer. The Lord said it in Isaiah, I will make my house a prayer of all nations. It's a house. This is just the house. But we are the church. We are the body. We are the house. And one of the elders at one of the Saturday meetings said the most wonderful thing, and I know it seems simple, but you know when you're busy and you're head down and you're working and you're doing anything, then sometimes some things just come through clearer than others. And Ralph said, we're a family. We have to look after one another. I praise God that we can sing a beautiful hymn that we all know by heart, and then to hear Travis and Kim sing such a wonderful song and bring all that together in one part of our family. That's hard, because we all have preferences. One of the things that we've been dealing with as a session has been a book that our good friend Ron Davis gave us. got about seven weeks ago. It's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And if it offends some of you, I'm sorry, but we have some problems. Can I have the slide, Jim? So we say attendance, well, it's just the quality of the attendance, right? But that's an indicator of a problem. Now, on the church development committee, um, my duty, my auspicious privilege is to bring in new churches and develop them. That is, work with their pastors, work with their sessions. Um, We do different things in development. It includes meeting with them at different times and going over things. And and, and somehow or another, I've gotten the niche of preparing certain documents for churches. So for the last couple of years, I've been preparing a lot of documents to shape up the, the facilities use policy and your bylaws and marriage policies because of the way the the law has changed allowing gay marriage and other things, too. It's not just gay marriage. There's a lot of other issues that have come into play. And so because of that, I've had a lot of connection with a lot of churches within a four-state area, West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, which is the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic. And in this process of bringing in new churches, I've noticed a couple of things, a couple of um, indicators of health. Um, some of the churches coming in are fleeing from the PCUSA and just to give you an idea um, we are an evangelical Presbyterian church we adhere to one confession of faith and that is the Westminster Confession of Faith we also have the seven but I count eight essentials of the faith these are the basic tenets of orthodox Christianity that Jesus is in fact the Son of God that the Bible is the infallible Word of God there are churches that don't believe that And so the church is coming from the PCUSA into our denomination, fleeing technically, escaping might be a better word, they're fleeing the apostasy of a church that no longer believes that Jesus is necessarily the Son of God, if you can believe that, or that the Bible is the infallible inherent Word of God, or that He was even born of a Virgin Mary. I mean, the things that we declare in the Apostles' Creed, they don't always adhere to. They have 17 confessions of faith, and you get to pick and choose. Now, when when we are examining um, pastors coming into the denomination, Phil will tell you there's a number of questions. But and, and also elders coming into with the churches that are coming into the denomination, we we go over certain questions like, do you do you adhere to uh, the confession, the uh, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith? Are there any exceptions? Well almost everybody says, well, yeah, I have an exception to keeping the Sabbath holy because I am going to watch a football game or I am going to go fishing or do something after church. And, and that's, that's an exception that we are willing to, to go with. But if someone were to come in and say, well, I have an exception that Jesus is, that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, now we've got a major problem. But over in the PC USA, if you can justify your position sufficiently with these 17 confessions of faith... You're in like Flynn. We're having the same problem, by the way, in the United States when you have a Constitution that says what it says, but somebody says, but there's more to it. It's just not written, and you have to read between the lines. And so we have a reinterpretation and a whole movement now in this country where the idea is that that document is a living, breathing document, which is another way of saying we get to change it whenever we want to, however we want to, without the people making a decision. The Constitution is a hard document it is um it it is a benchmark that the founders of this country gave to us to hold on to and yet these people the only way the enemy can get you off of the truth is to allow you to explain it to explain it away and it's the same thing in the PCUSA so I've gotten off track with that but just so you have some understanding we, on the other hand, are examining these churches. We examine new churches coming in there from other denominations, and some of them are just startups, and they have three things in common. Even the churches fleeing the PCUSA have three things in common. Number one, they have a vision and a mission. Even if they're escaping the PCUSA, they still have a vision and a mission for who they want to be and what they want to be about. The second thing is they have an output for that. They go into the community and they are doing something. One of my favorites is a little church down in Hanahan, South Carolina, where they first started meeting in a bar. And they'd come in Sunday morning with, with towels and they'd wipe up the floors and wipe up the bars because the thing had just been mopped down the night before, a couple of hours before, after closing. And they held church. They set up the sound equipment and they had church right there in the bar. What they did was they picked a bar in the inner city. They, living in the suburbs, came into the city they have church and then they go out into the community and they serve right there. And then they had the opportunity to take over a downtown library that had been abandoned by the, by the city. And now they've turned that into a daycare slash church. They meet there on Sunday and Wednesday nights. And then all throughout the week, they're providing after-school daycare at little or no cost. And then through the summertime, vacation Bible school and summer daycare at no cost for the purpose, singular purpose, of meeting the need inside the city and they don't live there they live 12 miles away or 20 miles away but they come in because they have a vision they're t- carrying out their mission and the last thing that they do this church in particular down in Hanahan but all these churches coming in pray i don't mean they just say a prayer at the beginning and the end of a meeting i mean they get together for prayer hours of prayer hard prayer on your face snot running out your nose kind of prayer i'm serious have you ever prayed that hard? Have you ever been under such pressure that sometimes you just... We have some prayer warriors here. Hmm. Um, more than 30 years ago, there was a small group of people who were praying for revival. And Horace Hilton showed up. <laughs> and those folks have continued to pray faithfully. And they've continued to pray throughout this entire time. There's a group that meets on Wednesday nights. And if you come in, you look at them and go, wow, this is... This is pretty subdued, but these folks are faithful to pray every Wednesday night. Are they doing it out of habit? Are they doing it out because God has called them to do that? It doesn't matter. They do it. Sometimes you just have to do it, whatever it takes. So the churches that come in have all these things, and they're alive, and they're vibrant, and they're growing. So those are also indicators too, by the way. In uh, my time on the church development committee, I've had two opportunities, two responsibilities of laying churches to rest. And one of them is up in Greenwood, South Carolina. Now, to give you an idea, this church was formed in 1770. It's called Rock Presbyterian Church. And they got a grant from King George III in 1767, so there are no deeds. (laughs) If you bought your property, you got a deed. Not these guys. They got a grant from the king, and there's nothing after that. It's just from the king so you're talking about a rich heritage it's pretty cool Um, however last year they had dwindled to less than 20 people interesting in 1850 the pastor at Rock Church founded and planted First Presbyterian Church in Greenwood First Presbyterian Greenwood founded and planted Westminster Presbyterian in Greenwood and of course they were PCUSA and last year enough people at Westminster Presbyterian wanted to get out of the PCUSA and they had 200 and some people that were leaving. PCUSA said, well, it's going to cost you a million and a half dollars for your property. And they said, we don't have a million and a half dollars. And so the PCUSA said, take off. You can't have your building. Now, the EPC is not in the real estate business. We're in the kingdom building. And so we go to the 20 at Rock Church, not because of this uh, Westminster church, but they were coming to us saying, what do we do? Because at 20 people, you're not viable any longer. And I moderated a meeting. Jenny and I went up, had some church with them, moderated a meeting that they had. And at that meeting, one of the ladies stood up and said, my dad built this church. I mean, with his own hands, two other guys. The three men built that church themselves in 1959, that particular building. And her parents were buried in the back. She and her sister both had been married at that altar. Her sister and brother-in-law were buried in the back. She and her husband were going to be buried in the back. And she said, I want to give our church away for the kingdom. Now, that didn't happen after lots of prayer, but what got them to where they were was prayerlessness. Think about that for a second. What caused that church to die was prayerlessness what has caused our nation to get to where it is right now is prayerlessness It's really no different think about it in your own life i've gone a whole day and i realize but i'm laying down and going to bed at night i've gone a whole day slugging it out doing what i do and i lay down and go man i ain't even prayed all day long you ever done that see my problem is i'm a human doing my wife is a human being <laughs> She reminds me that I was made to be, not to do, but see, I'm one of those guys, as soon as there's a problem, I'm rolling my sleeves up, and psh, I'm off to go do it. She, on the other hand, runs to her prayer room, <laughs> and she prays. And I'm learning, I'm moving there, I'm, I'm going there, but it's taking me a hard road to, to get there, and it takes discipline to get there. But this church that was giving its property away, without exception, says the reason we died is because we didn't pray, we didn't have a vision, we lost our identity is what she really said. One of the ladies said, just, we just forgot who we were and what we were about, and they lost their mission. They didn't have any reason to reach out in the community. What little bit they did fell by the wayside. And they just finally said, well, okay, and they just kind of hung out. They'd have church, they'd get together, they'd have a little covered dish, and that was okay, they were a good fellowship. But in terms of kingdom living, in terms of being a church, for the purpose of the kingdom they had died now attendance is an indicator it's not the only one there's lots of other indicators but in this book that we've been reading all tops of a deceased church steve has actually preached last two sundays on some of the topics that we've been dealing with one of them one of the problems is that we look back sometimes and we go those were the good old days haven't we i have see i've been here since 1985 i can look back and say i remember the good old days i remember when this church was not only full full to the brim with more than two services i remember those good old days well what made those the good old days was it just one person was it horace hilton and nothing else that can't be (laughs) it has to be all of us and here's the thing i think god is calling us at a time such as this in our history with what's going on outside this building for us to come together in a way that is more meaningful, more meaningful than it was 30 years ago. Not that there was anything wrong with that, because I praise God for that. I praise God for the people who were here and have slugged it out week after week and month after month and year after year to be the body here. And the foundation that we have, if you pull up that carpet, it's probably gold. In my opinion, it is. And yet you can't stop there. You can't stop. You can't just hunker down. And you know what? I'm not there yet, but I I get retirement. (laughs) But there's no retirement in the kingdom. Some of the oldest members in our church are the most faithful to come and pray. But we, as a body, have to be committed to prayer. Now, in Haggai, and I'm going to do this up there, but I'm going to do it here instead. Haggai chapter 1, you ought to go read it. This is where the... Um, captives have come back or they are coming back from Babylon. And um, Nehemiah is over there busy with the wall, but there's there's an issue with the temple. And they've come back and they started the temple and then everybody got busy with their own house. So if you go to Haggai chapter 1, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Does that sound like us? As a church? Programs dwindle. Membership dwindles. um, Tithing and giving dwindles. Things just kind of seem to come apart. and Things aren't going the way we we think they ought to be going. If that's not us... Because we're so busy sometimes. And I'm not being critical of anybody in particular because I'm talking to myself here, by the way. Okay? We get so busy with our own lives that we forget that we are here for His kingdom and for nothing else. I mean, granted, we want a nice house, we want a nice car. Kids got to make good grades. Dad's got to make the mortgage payment. Mom's got to do the things she's got to do. We all got things we got to do. But in the end, we're here for the kingdom and no other reason. And if we forget that, then God's faithful to remind us. Then he says it again. And any time God says something twice, you better pay attention. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and their crops its the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain and new wine and olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. How many times have we had an initiative or a program or something that we want to do here as a church? And it just kind of evaporates. Now there's some wonderful things that we do here, so don't get me wrong, I'm not being critical of any of the things that we do, but we can do more. And we'll show you how in a minute. And it doesn't cost you anything except time and commitment. We quote Second Chronicles seven wrong. I want to know how many people can quote Second Chronicles seven thirteen, not fourteen. Raise your hand if you can tell me what 2 Chronicles 7.13 says. Pastor can. See, here's the thing. Solomon built the temple, dedicated the temple, sacrificed 22,000 cattle, 120,000 goats and sheep. That was a big barbecue. And all the people rejoiced, and this is it. God's going, and, and actually what happened was God sent fire down and fired up the grill and burned everything up. And everybody's you know if if god did that right now we'd all be standing back going wow it's cool Then the lord appeared to solomon at night and said i have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices and at that point i'm going yeah boy god's god's in this place we've done everything right everything's going to be good right then god says the most remarkable thing (laughs) he doesn't say if he says when and by the way in the niv verse 13 14 is one sentence So normally when we read something, we should read the whole sentence. When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name, and I'll finish that in a second. But God starts the conversation with when I stop the rain, when I send the locusts to devour the land, when I send plagues and disease or sickness on my people. Why would God do that? God knows we're a fickle people. He knew the Israelites were fickle. It didn't take them how much I don't know how long Moses was up in the mountain, but while he's up there getting the Ten Commandments, they're down there building a calf. I mean, they forgot that quick. We do too. I do too. But he says, When I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, what's the rain? Holy Spirit. Right. <clears throat> Command the locusts to devour the land. Who's the land? In this context it's us what are the locusts locusts can be foreclosure jobs you name it all the things in the world all the places where the enemy would want to come and steal kill and destroy and take stuff away from us that's what the enemy does all right and send plagues among my people i'm convinced like smith wigglesworth that cancer cancer is an attack of the enemy and we don't have to stand for that but what do we do Well, we we do this, because i got cancer. If my people who are called by my name, this was one time in history, that was for the Israelites, standing in front of the temple, God's talking to Solomon, and He's telling Solomon, if my people. That's them, not us. This is not replacement theology. Okay? And He's talking to His people. Now, we've said this over America a thousand million times. And you know what? We should say this over America. But America is not called by God's name like the Israelites were. But there is another nation that is. And that's the kingdom. Us. So if my people, that is, if Jesus were saying this to his church, then he's talking to me. If my people who are called by my name, Christians, are called by my name, Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Are we prideful? I am. Steve asked me to come preach, my head got that big. And then every day as we got closer and closer, it got smaller and smaller. Thank God. When we insist on doing something the same way over and over again, because that's the way we've always done it, that's pride, and we've got to humble ourselves and realize that God's always wanting to do something new. All right, you ready? You young people, when you're up here worshiping and praising, and remember, volume hurts some older folks. Paul said in Philippians, we should be looking after the interests of others first. But we're a family. Would you crank up your electric guitar in your grandparents' bedroom? No. As much as we have preference, we should remember that we're a family and we should be looking after one another. I notice how we greet each other in the, in the mornings. And I've seen a couple of people in this morning I haven't seen in a while. And you know, there was something in me that says, oh man, I'm so glad to see you. You know, when I thought about the early church, and you would show up in an early church it was usually at a house, and somebody show up, they're glad to see you because you know what? You might have gotten arrested by the Romans and put in jail or by the Jews and been executed. That <laughs> may come to us too one day, but I am so glad to see people here that I haven't seen in a while. And I'm so glad to see the people who are every, here every time. Because we need each other. It doesn't matter if we rub each other wrong. It doesn't matter if we don't look right or we don't look alike. I will tell you this. I stood in the back of this sanctuary one day when I had the kids years ago. This was years ago had the kids taking up collection and I'm worshiping the Lord and I felt something brush past. Oh, and I had just said, Lord, what are you going to do to fill these pews? When are you going to put some fannies in these pews? And I go back to worshiping again. I felt something brush past me and open opened up my eyes and here comes this girl and she's dressed in surfing clothes. Now, she's clean, but she's clearly going surfing when she gets done at church. I went, who does she think she is dressed like that? Now, listen. God said, as audibly as I can in my head if you let me he said i will fill this church with people just like her now i don't know if that means millennials young people or people who just don't look like me or people who aren't going to dress like me it didn't matter if we let him if we let him he will fill this church with people just like her who love christ That's what we need. And there's one more verse in, chap- in, in uh, chapter 7 in Second Chronicles. After he says, I will hear them from heaven, and forget, oh, by the way, let me go back, humble themselves and pray. <laughs> and pray, and seek his face, which is part of praying. And turn from their wicked ways, how we treat each other. Jesus said we're supposed to prefer each other. We're supposed to treat each other better than we treat them out there. And instead, what do we do? We turn our backs on people. We criticize people. We, we get around we talk about behind, behind people's backs. By the way, if you've got something to say to my wife, you better come say it to me. Leave her alone. I, I'm telling you, if you've got something to say to Michael, don't talk to his wife about that. If you've got something to say to Steve, don't talk to his wife about that. That is wrong. That's sin. It is sin. Because the Bible says if you've got a problem with somebody, you go straight to them. That's another reason why churches fail, because we haven't humbled ourselves, we haven't prayed, we haven't sought His face, and we haven't turned from our wicked ways. Verse 15: "Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. In Acts 2:42, the early church is getting together. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that word prayer, uh, that word devoted in Acts 2, in Acts two is proscaterero. you say that right, <laughs> John? It means to turn earnestly, to persevere, to constantly be diligent or to attend assiduously in all the exercises. To adhere closely to, attend continually upon, wait upon. And there's another interpretation of that word in, in the old Greek, which means to, listen, pursue prey as a wolf. We are to pursue prayer as a predator pursues its prey. So in the early 1700s, there were some refugees from czechoslovakia moravia moved into hernhut in germany about 120 of them we call them moravians now and they got together and they were they were having their issues but they were protestants they were actually they were calvinists thank god and so here they are getting together trying to have church and somewhere in that process they decided they needed to pray and they broke up into groups, and everybody took a turn. And they started praying for 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and they did that for 100 years. 100 years. In the first 30 years, they sent out 50 missions. That is, they, they sent out missionaries, over 250 missionaries, and they sent them out in all these places, and those places started forming missions themselves. One of them was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And that mission sent out another 60 missions. And over a period of 100 years, they've estimated that directly or indirectly, this little prayer chapel, this little prayer group, sent out 5,600 missionaries, which is one a week. And the church in Hernhut was never larger than 300 people. That's kind of cool. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. It is the greater work. And Charles Finney, he's got a series of books, a series of writings. One of them is On Revival. And you ought to read it. It's a little tough, but it's, it's a good read when you get it done. He says prayer always precedes revival. So you've got these folks who are praying earnestly for revival, and Horace Hilton shows up. I wonder if we get together now and start praying fervently, pursuing prayer like a wolf pursues its prey that somebody else doesn't show up or some people show up or we continue to grow and thrive, which is what the pastor has been talking about. We want to thrive, don't we? We want to grow. We want, we want, really, we should want this place to be so full that the place where we normally sit, somebody else is sitting there. (laughs) I would love to be aggravated because somebody's sitting in my seat. (laughs) Tom Rainer who wrote this book says that 10% of all the churches in the United States are healthy I mean really healthy like you know Jack LaLanne kind of (laughs) healthy and 10% of all the churches in the United States are actively dying and I just laid one to rest last fall so I know what that looks like There's a good ending to that story, by the way. The Westminster folks who came in, they're not EPC, they're ECO, which is PCUSA Light. But they're still, they're reformed. Here's the thing, when they came in, they were happy to have the new building. I mean, they gave it to them, not a dime. Just here, you can have it. That's kind of cool. But they were more grateful for now being able to be reformed as opposed to being under that apostasy. Think about that. We take it for granted that we are a Reformed congregation, a Reformed theology. If you don't know what that means, go Google it because it's really fascinating to read what it means to be Reformed. It also puts things in perspective. And I encourage every single one of you to go and read The Essentials of Our Faith, which you'll find on the website, the uh, EPC website. I am so happy with our denomination because I've preached in churches where the pastors wore robes and there was a full choir in the back. And I've been to the one up, up in the mountains where it's just a few people, it's kids, you know, and it's just, I don't know, it's, they're just doing church. There's nothing about that that looks like the one down here that I was preaching at. And yet they are both EPC and they both love God and they're both pursuing prayer like a wolf. Eighty percent, however, are sick to very sick. And your session has done a hard self-assessment. Now, Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. The first thing he does after he's been there for a couple of days without telling everybody why he's there is he goes around at night and surveys the wall to see what's going on, what's broken down. Because the report that he had had was that the walls were broken down and that the gates had been burned. And he wept. And he goes to the king. Eventually, the king says, okay, you can go. Go on down there and do what you've got to do. And I'll even give you the money to do it. And the manpower behind some of that. So I'm thinking, I came back on session, and our good friend Ron Davis says, I've read this book. You all take a look at it. And he bought one for every one of us, and I read it. I mean, it changed my life. Get a copy if you can and read it. It is not depressing, it is an honest assessment of church. And our session, your session, has come down and and had an honest assessment. I'm going to tell you, we have determined that this church is somewhere between sick and very sick. That's not a criticism. That's an honest assessment. And the reason I'm telling you that is because if you're sick, what do you do? You go to the doctor, you take your medicine, you eat right, you exercise, you get your sleep, and you get healthy again. And it is my prayer, and it is my mission on session to do what I can as part of a body and part of a team to bring health to this church that I love so much. And it doesn't mean a steamroller, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about coming in and changing everything because you know what? That's not going to do it. There's only one thing that will do it, and that's when we're on our knees and we're in prayer. My wife said the most remarkable thing to me one day. I was busy with some stuff, you know, and she goes, why are you fretting? Why are you worked up all of it? When are you going to pray? like, right, when am I going to pray? You know, if prayer is the greater work, there's only one answer to our problems. There's only one, and that's to pray. In terms of what we should do, remember now, I'm the guy that rolls up his sleeves, and I'm ready to go do something. Okay? That's not going to get it. We have to pray. We have to pray on Wednesday night. We have to pray in the prayer chapel. We have struggled to get that prayer chapel up and going. The fella that gave the furniture, a fellow named Mr. Mooney from Charlotte, I knew him when I was a kid. He gave all of that wonderful furniture. Is there, has everybody ever been in, anybody never been in the prayer chapel? It's right across from the kitchen. You just open the door and you walk in. There's a couple of old codgers that come here on Thursday night. I won't tell you the names, but it's like Waldorf and Statler. I mean, they're just, they, uh, that's a Muppets plug kids know what i'm talking about all right so so these two guys get in there and they will tell you they get on their face they close the door because they're the only two in there on thursday night they get on their face and they report back over and over and over again the lord is in that room Now i don't mean that you have to go back there to pray that's not the point but if you're here or you have a chance to come during the day or during the week the building is open go back in there and pray why not what's it going to hurt what's it going to cost I come Wednesday mornings between 6.30 and 7.30, 6 to 7.30, somewhere in that range, and I bring Henry with me. We go in there and we pray. Henry's my dog. Couples go in. My wife is in there in the mornings. There are ladies whose children go to this school who don't go to this church, but they'll go in the prayer chapel. And they get together and they pray and they support each other and they pray over each other and they pray over their families. I was in a car with my wife one day and the bus on, on uh, college road we we're at riceville avenue college road and traffic's backed up and here's this bus and here's this guy sitting in the window right directly in front of us and he looked the derelict and my wife goes you know what if i see him god sees him so she took my hand and we started praying for this fellow and i mean tell you i don't know where it came from but we prayed over him like nobody's business he has no clue what we prayed about or what we, that he would come to know the Lord. and If he already did, that he'd be surrounded by people that would support him, that his family would be blessed, that he'd be blessed financially with good health. And I mean, we just laid it on him and off they go when the traffic does. And off we go. I have no idea that that changed that man's life. But I know this, God answers prayer. He says it over and over and over again. Why don't we pray? Pull out your hymnals. Go to 435. I'm going to wrap it up here in a second. We sang this last week. It blew my socks off. What a friend we have in Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to sing. I'm going to ask you to read. First verse, third and fourth lines. Starts with the word, "O." Is everybody there? Read along with me, please. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Right? 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 All right. We need to start carrying everything to God in prayer. Now, there's 168 hours in a week. And I've already dedicated to at least one hour on Wednesday mornings. My wife has, I don't know, a bunch of hours. Other folks are coming in praying different hours. I'm going to ask you to do something. See, anytime someone gives you a message, they should give you an output. I'm not saying every single time, but there's just something about, I need an output. I need nuts and bolts. You're going to preach to me, great. Tell me what I need to know, but then give me something. What am I going to do with it? Okay? So here's what you can do. I've got a couple of sheets. I'm going to put one in Narthex. I'm going to put one out here. I'm going to have one. There's one back in the prayer room. Pick an hour. Because what I want you to do during that one hour per week, and I don't mean 15 minutes here and 15 minutes there. I mean I'm asking you to take an hour. The other thing Nehemiah did was he gathered up all the people. And what did they do? They took their family groups and they picked a place on the wall and that's what they built. They built that part of the wall. And they did it with a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And they had other guys that were guarding them because... Sanballat and the rest of these guys were trying to attack them. But they built the wall, in 52 days they built that wall, and the gate's back up again. 52 days. So I'm asking you to take a look at... Oops. Sorry. That's too long. I'm asking you to take an hour. Now, take any hour you want. If it's 2 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, that's fine. I'm not signing up for 2 a.m. on Tuesday personally. But I'm going to tell you, if you wake up at 2 o'clock on Tuesday this week, God's calling you to pray at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. If He calls you at 4 o'clock on Thursday, you get up and you pray. And you write it down. And you send it to us. It's uh, prayerchapelmg at gmail.com. Prayerchapelmg at gmail.com. And then I have these sheets. If you will write your name down your telephone number and email address and give me the day and the hour that you are willing to commit to to build the wall of protection around this church and around this city and you are faithful to pray that one hour, whatever hour God calls you to pray. And it doesn't matter if you've got 50 people for 2 o'clock on Tuesday and nobody at 2 a.m. on Tuesday. God's going to fill in the wee hours. He'll do that on His own. It might be you. It might not. It doesn't have to be. But I'm asking every single one of you as my family to commit to one hour to pray for this church, for these leaders, Jim and Steve and Michael and their families. We need to be supporting them and loving them and praying for them. Young folks need to pray for the older folks. Older folks, you've got to be praying for these younger folks because these are the guys that are going to be running this place as soon as we let them. As soon as we let them. I remember the first time my daughter bought my lunch. (laughs) Went to eat, and she bought my lunch, and I almost cried. I think about that for a minute. If you're my age or older, how nice would it be to be able to take those keys and hand them to the younger generation and say, you run this place, and instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to love you, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to support you, I'm going to my baby financially supports you as well. I'm going to encourage you. And I'm going to see what God can do in you. Because I know what God's done in us and what God's done in the past. And I want to see some more of that. The good old days are gone. The best days are still ahead of us. And I believe that with all my heart. The best days are ahead of us if, if we pray. If we humble ourselves and go, you know what? Even if they come in the door with surfing clothes, God love them. Because they are here. All right, I'm going to ask you all to stand up. Jim, if you'll pull up that next, that last one. There's a prayer that we've been doing, and I'm going to ask Steve to come on up so we can close. But I want everybody to stand up if you can. I want you to hold your hands out. Before the benediction, we're going to say this prayer. Now, I'm a firm believer that we come to give and receive in church. And there are some people, worship team, the folks that preach, the folks that are in the back, they give. And some of us come and receive. But let me tell you, in my role on the Church Development Committee, cul-de-sacs die. Through streets live. And if we're here just to receive and receive and receive, and we don't give anything back in one way or another, then you know what? We're a cul-de-sac. But if we are a through street where... God's blessings flow through us onto the next group, onto the next generation, onto the folks that don't look like us or smell like us or talk like us. If we're not willing to reach out, these churches have an outward focus. Dying churches don't. Living churches have a, had an outward focus. They reach the community, whatever that community may be. So I'm a firm believer that when the pastor gives the benediction, we should hold our hands out and receive it because God's given us something there. But right now we're going to pray this prayer. Says, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray consistently. Teach me to be a leader in prayer in my church, and teach me to keep passionate and believing prayer as the lifeblood of this church. Amen.
0: Keep those prayer, those hands out, and receive the goodness and the grace of God. Now may the grace of God. May the love of God the Father, the presence of Jesus, and the life of the Holy Spirit consistently fill you with fervency and life unto expanding the kingdom in this place and beyond in the name of Jesus and everybody who received said together, Amen. amen. God bless you. I'm going to ask our ministry team if you would come and worship team, we'll just close here. If you would like special prayer from any of us, or if you would like to pray for some of us, feel free to do that. Uh, So we're just going to worship here. You feel free to slip out as it is appropriate. God bless you, and have a wonderful day today in Jesus. And Bubba said, Amen.